All right. Well, they'll be here March 26. You guys mark your, mark your calendars to that. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful event. Hey, good morning. It's good to be back down here. If you'll turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 21 today. Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. Powerful. The Christian life is not a perfected life. It's also not a passive life. True Christians are actively moving forward, progressively forward in momentum in the pursuit of Christ and Christ-likeness. The believer is saved. Brothers and sisters, you are saved. Your salvation is intact. All right? The believer is covered in God's righteousness. We're justified. This too is intact. Of course, these are things that are given to us through the sovereignty sovereignty of our God and His grace. But our Christian walk, our spiritual growth, does not stop here. Those things are intact, but it does not stop there. Our God-given faith is active, it's alive, and it's directing us to want to be found in Jesus, meaning we trust and take refuge in Him. We want to be found in Him. Again, we want to know Him, not know about Him. We want to be in a relationship with Him, and we want to be like Him. And that's spiritual growth. That is christ Likeness, with the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, all these things within our growth, founding in Him, being found in Him, excuse me, knowing Him and being like Him, through the help of the Holy Spirit, we've moved forward towards that goal. Saving faith is not just mere belief. It's not mere belief, but acting on the basis of that belief. For a Christian believer, progression is always a steady movement forward towards resurrection and 
perfection. It's also called sanctification, which means all the days that we've been blessed with on this earth, whether it's another year or another 75 years, this time given to us is time to progress forward in our walk with God. We're to be made holy. We're being shaped. We're being sculpted into Christ's likeness. We're being prepared and equipped for eternity with God. So it does not stop at salvation and being covered in God's righteousness. Oh no, we continually move forward. Last week we learned that Paul wanted to know and experience the resurrection. That's what we ended with. He wanted to know and experience the resurrection. He said by any means possible, right? Making the most of what God has given him. Strenuous exertion to obtain that goal. And what was the goal? It was, of course, the resurrection. He wanted to attain the resurrection, and he wanted to do this by any means possible. He was not going to sit idly by and just wait for the Savior to return. He wanted to know it. That is, to be found, to know, and to become like Christ. But we read this morning in verse 12, he has not obtained this and has not been made perfect. But what does he say? I haven't got that yet, but I press on to make it my own, knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, identifying Christ with life and death in his life and death. He wanted to identify with Christ. But why? Because Jesus made Paul his own. Paul said, hey, I was laid hold of by Jesus. Jesus made him his own. Did you know that in verse 6, chapter 3, we don't have to go anywhere, in verse 6 of chapter 3, it talks about Paul's zeal as a persecutor of the church. That word, persecute, and the very word we read in verse 12, press on, it has the same exact meaning. Paul used the same Greek word for both. Paul's mindset was a single-minded pursuit and persecuting the church. That was his mindset. But God got hold of him. He put on the new self through the new birth. And now Paul's mindset was different. It changed. His new mindset is a single-minded pursuit to know Jesus and attain the resurrection. The mindset has changed. He reiterates for us that he has not made this his own. But one thing I do, oh, Paul, please tell us. We love when it's just one thing, don't we? What's the one thing? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to, why, uh, to what lies ahead. Now, Paul's doing something cool here. He's painting a picture of an athlete. And culturally speaking, Paul would observe these games. These games were huge back then. The games, races. He would have observed these things. And he's using what he's seen as an example. So he's painted the picture of an athlete for us. Now this race absolutely could have been a foot race. You've got athletes lining up at their mark, right? And when they take off, they're fixated on the finish line. That's the goal. i got to cross the line because I want that reward. I want that reward. I want to win. So he paints the picture of these runners just straining forward, trying to beat each other, 
even if it's by a head's length to cross that finish line. But the same thing, it could have been a chariot race. You had these athletes standing on this small platform, a wheel on each side being pulled by mighty horses, and what they're doing is they're having to strain forward and stance to keep their balance as they raced. They too wanted to win. The cool thing about this, we're not sure which race Paul's talking about because it doesn't really matter. It's the athlete that matters. Paul wants us to see this. The athlete is going to be the example here. So Paul says, I press on. Press on towards what? The goal. Okay. Well, Paul, what's the goal? The goal for Paul was the prize of the upward call of God. Again, in a race, the finish line is the goal. We all know that in any race. But the focal point that Paul is emphasizing is the state of perfection that comes with the resurrection. This is his whole point. The upward call of God directs our focus and single-mindedness to the things above, not earthly things. And boy, oh boy, is it easy to get caught up and trapped in earthly things. So Paul says it again, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This is very important today for us. We cannot forget these words. I'll tell you why. Too many of us, too many of us here are held captive by the past. It's like we are shackled to regret. We're shackled to shame. Always looking backwards, dwelling on the things that interfere with our present progress as we run the race. What are they? Temptations? Failures? What about bad relationships? Bitterness? Hurtful memories? We're looking back at these things like crazy, holding on to the past. But it's not just negatives. Do you remember last week all Paul's credentials? Remember his pedigree we read? It could be positive things too. It could be successes that are holding you back. But regardless, the same thing is happening. We're running a race, yet we're stumbling and falling as we look backwards. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Oh, beautiful. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is what? Set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So with Paul, what Paul's saying here is what is behind needs to be replaced with what is before us. We read in this verse right here, what was set before Christ, what is set before us. We are not looking backwards. You know, I press on. I love what he, I, I just like that phrase. I just like it. I press on. Um, with the athlete in view here, let's talk about present day. Uh, the Olympics are going on right now. Um, and these athletes in the Olympics, they don't play around. They live this sport. But they do not become winners in their particular sport by just watching a video on that sport. 
They don't become winners in their sport by listening to a lecture about their particular sport. Uh, reading a book about their particular sport is not going to help them. No, these athletes excel at their sport by getting into the game. They get into the game. They practice, and through determination, they press on, and they what? Strain forward, and that's what they want. They want victory. They excel at their sport by getting in the game, practicing, and through determination, they press on to win. So Paul is using this beautiful example of the games and athletes to help us understand pressing on and straining forward. Paul's zeal drove him, drove him to persecute the church. But now, now he's displaying the same zeal for proclaiming Christ. Totally different mindset. Paul is determined to press on. He's determined to strain forward to the upward call of God. This is his goal. This is his prize. But please understand that Paul is not suggesting that we attain heaven by our own efforts. Not at all. Just as the athlete is rewarded for his or her performance, so too the believer will be rewarded, crowned when Jesus returns. Reward. But God works in us so that he can work through us. This is not just our effort. He works in us so that he can work through us. Because apart from Jesus, what? Apart from God, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. Paul applied himself to the spiritual life. He applied himself to the spiritual mind. We are called to do the same so that what? God can mature us. He can strengthen us for this race. Because whether you want to accept it or not, guess what? You are in the race. If you are a believer, <laughs> we're racing together. So we're called to do the same thing. 1 Timothy 4, 7-8. through it says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. Wow. We are being matured. We are being strengthened. We are being trained in godliness. So what is, what is it about this maturity? Mature. You know this word also means perfection and completed, but we know that this isn't the case because Paul states that he has not attained this perfection. Not yet. But guys, this is, how, this is what it means. It means this is the aim. We're aiming at perfection. Those who would be perfect. That's what we are using this word. We're trying to understand what mature is. This is where we're at. We're aiming towards it. This is what we will be as we travel in this life and endure and persevere and grow in Christ. You know, a sign of a mature believer is the fact that they know they have not actually attained perfection yet. They have not attained this level. But what do they do? They continually strive forward towards it. That is what we're talking about when we talk about maturity. Paul states, hey, let those of us who are mature think this way. 
Well, what way, Paul? Well, it goes right back to this, that we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God. This is to be our thought process, our mindset in spiritual growth. And this is what Paul wants the Philippian believers to truly understand that this sentence here, you press on, you're moving toward the goal because the prize is the upward call of God. We can never forget that. Well, what is this upward call of God? What is this upward call of God? The direction we press on towards is up. And that is where the call is coming from. That's why it's up. It's coming from God in heaven. Did you know, and I think most of you do, because you, you don't walk this way, do you? Right? We travel, run, walk with our eyes fixed. Okay? Our eyes are locked on and we move in that direction. Wherever our eyes are fixed, that's where we travel. I mean, could you imagine if we took two people out of this congregation and we all went out into the field and said we're going to race? And one of them was looking forward at the finish line, the other guy was looking over here to the side? Well, he's either going to, the one that's looking to the side as we start the race, he's either going to fall, trip on something and stumble, or he's going to begin to veer off to the side. He's not going to cross the finish line like the other guy. His eyes are not fixed on the, on the finish line. But so many of us tend to, in our spiritual walk, look backwards and to the side at any and, other, and everything except for what's set before us. This is what Paul is wanting the believers in Philippi to understand, that looking back will slow them down. And not only that, guess what else can happen? They can get locked into these things. They become a hindrance in spiritual growth. Paul wants them to remove the distractions of their past and replace them with the single-minded focus of the upward call of God. This is where our eyes and hearts need to be fixed. When we travel, walk, run, we are looking forward. It's that simple. But in our spiritual walk, a lot of times we say, I'm not going to look forward. I want to look back at, well, I did this, and, and there's this thing back here, and well, I was hurt here. And, oh, no, I don't like that person because I'm still, this is, I have bitterness here. What in the world? That hinders your spiritual growth. That stops your forward momentum. We don't look back. We set our eyes and hearts before. We're fixed. And if you think otherwise, Paul says this. I love this part. And if you think otherwise, there may have been some who did not hold these views. Perhaps the views they held actually impeded their progress. Or stopped it altogether. It prevented their aim at the prize. I can tell you that much. They were not aiming at the prize if they're looking back. It could have been poor or warped instruction, right? It could have been bad teaching. Um, it could have been personal obstacles. Well, I'm not willing to let go of this yet. I'm still going to hold on to this. I, I plan on following God wholeheartedly, but right now I have this. Personal obstacles. It could be erroneous opinions. My goodness, we're a world in a world full and full of all kinds of opinions. And they could have been in error with those opinions. But here's what Paul said. Those in true pursuit of God, those in true pursuit, he said, hey, God will correct, God will convict, God will guide and lead them to this mature thinking if they think another way. In other words, Paul has confidence that God is going to complete the work that he began in them. He says, hold true to what we've attained, though. Hold true. You know what we're holding true to? What we've attained, you and I? 
We're holding true to our spiritual maturity. That's what we've attained. We're holding on to our single-minded focus of Christ. This is what we have attained. This is the stuff we need in order to run the race. We're holding on to those. And Paul has modeled this for us throughout this letter. In fact, modeling, he says, imitate me. Please imitate me or keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Church family, there's those of you here that I observe and I'm like, I need to, I need to imitate that. You know, I'll go back. Do you remember the sermon where I talked about we work out our salvation? Working out your salvation, that's together. This is all part of working out your salvation together. As examples, we can look at different people in this congregation and go, yeah, I want to model that and I want to model that. And you may look at others and say, I want to model them. That's what it's all about. Looking at others that you want to model because they are a good example. Jesus is always our first and most perfect example. Okay, When it comes to <laughs> imitating one in our spiritual growth, let's go ahead and knock that out. It's Jesus Christ. However, Paul states that he too is a model. And not only him, not only is he modeling spiritual growth for us, but he... he introduces us to two other co-workers. What about Epaphroditus and Timothy? We've talked about them. They, too, are examples of who we should keep our eyes on. And again, there's several of you here. There's prayer warriors in this congregation. There's service warriors in this congregation. There's teaching warriors. There's people who love God so much they want to share their lives with others. And we observe these things and say, I, I got to imitate that. What a great example. And this is what we should be doing as we work out our salvation together. But as stated earlier, some do not think this way. They're not, they don't have that mature level of thinking. And not everyone walks that way, do they? Paul says not everyone walks in the way, right? He described for us in these verses the way to walk, but not everyone is doing that. Following the right examples is exact, exact, uh, excuse me, absolutely essential it's absolutely essential because we are told that there are many who do not walk this way. In fact, Paul calls them what? Enemies of God. Now, we were enemies of God before we came to him. We were in opposition to him. Not anymore. We have peace. But there are so many that are in opposition, absolute enemies of God, and even worse, they walk as enemies of God. We cannot be sure of who's he who he's talking about, though. Okay, It could be the Judaizers. It could be professing Christians in Rome that's surrounding him where he's uh, imprisoned. It could be possibly the Roman citizens in Philippi. It could even be members of the church. I'd hate to say that, but it could be. But what is known, although we don't know the group that he's talking about, what is known is the end is destruction. That's scary, folks. Their end is destruction. And you know what else? Mere profession does not save. Mere profession does not save. What about their bellies? Their God is their belly. They have appetites for the earthly, not the heavenly. They don't want to honor God. They want to honor themselves. Self-indulgences and gratifications, that's where it's at. They glory in things of which they should be ashamed. And again, their minds are set on the earthly things, not on heavenly, the earthly. You know what, though? In contrast to this, our citizenship is in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, family, we measure true riches of life by the kingdom of God. That's what we measure by. The upward call, the prize, not the false riches of this world. And they are false riches. I got to, you know, there's, when you're studying and you're planning, sometimes there's something just punches you right in the face. I love when that happens. And I just want to share this with you. In our citizenship, in Scripture, Paul says, in our citizenship, what are we awaiting? It says, we await our Savior. Now, i got to talk about this for a second, just because it really pumps me up. Our salvation is bound in Jesus Christ. No one would argue that. It's secure. It's bound in Jesus. Our righteousness that he's given us, guess what else? It's also bound in Jesus. It's also secure. We've been given a wonderful gift called the Holy Spirit, which tells us it's guaranteed, it's an absolute, it's totally secure, and guess what? We also have treasures. We have rewards that are in heaven. Rust can't eat away at them. You don't have to worry about malls eating through it. And thieves cannot come and grab any of it and take it away. They cannot steal it. It is completely secure. So I look at our salvation and our righteousness. I look at the treasures and the rewards. And then I think, oh my goodness, our resurrection is also bound up in Jesus. And it's safe as well as our perfection. So the more I kept thinking about this, my goodness, all I'm doing is waiting for my Savior. All of this is safe and secure. It's mine. We haven't experienced the fullness of it yet, but that doesn't negate the fact that it's mine in Christ. All I'm doing is waiting for my Savior. And I get pumped up when I think about this because everything is safe and secure and guaranteed. It's ours as we await our Savior. I love that. And we got some lowly bodies, don't we? Hey, I'm not trying to be mean, but we got some scratched and scarred bodies. We got bodies that ache and are sore. I mean, at birth, your body starts to decay, right? These bodies are good for what? Let's just say 100 years. I'll round it off, right? These bodies are not going to last for an eternity. There's a whole purpose in having a glorified body and understanding what perfection will truly be. And so Paul's looking at his lowly body saying, I am going to be transformed and be made like Jesus' glorious body. Jesus Christ, by the way, has all authority in heaven on earth. And what does the Bible say right here? Um, that the same power that enables him even to subject all things to him. In verse 21, that very same power is the power that's going to transform these hurting, lowly, bodies to a glorified body that's prepared and equipped for an eternity with God. And what do we do? We await our Savior. So in our spiritual growth, and this is what Paul's trying to talk about, hey, I want to be more and more like Christ. I just want to be like Christ. And as I attain that, in the fullness of my waiting my Savior, when he comes back, I'll experience that. And guess what? Even in the next life, with the next body, we're going to be made like Christ. So it makes sense to be Christ-like now. We have been set apart to be made holy. First, uh, 1 Peter 
Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We've been set apart. So sanctification, we're justified, we're matured, and we're glorified. We, I believe this majority of this church, is in the matured phase. We are maturing. We are being made holy. We are being trained in godliness. We are being brought up and sculpted to be more and more Christ-like so that one day, as we await our Savior and He returns, we'll see the fullness of this and truly be made Christ-like through the resurrection. And do you know what happens at the resurrection? Perfection. This is what Paul is straining for. I press on. All that stuff behind me doesn't matter. The goal, the prize, the upward call of God is right here. This is where I want to go. This is where my eyes are fixed. i got to read this verse to you. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 5-8. through For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I read this verse several times. You know what I came up with? Just follow me. I know I'm kind of goofy sometimes. Hey, honey, um, kind of sold on this Jesus thing. I think I'm going to go uh, Thursday. I'm going to meet the pastor. I'm going to go and get saved. And um, I'm probably going to do that whole express thing. I'm going to get saved and get baptized. And I read this verse. I'm going to go ahead and knock out virtue and knowledge And I'm going to try to start self-control, but if I don't, the next day, uh, at least by the weekend, I want to be done with self-control, godliness, uh, brotherly affection. I want to get done. Honey, by the weekend, I want this all checked off and done. I mean, some people think that (laughs) Jesus is a ticket to heaven, right? I bought my ticket. He's my ticket. It's done. Uh, They see this as a quick thing. Did you see all the things in that verse just now? Do you think you could do that in a week? Do you think you could do that in a year? Absolutely not. You ready, brothers and sisters? It is a life long process of us becoming more like Christ. This doesn't happen instantaneously. We develop spiritually in our growth. We mature to be more Christ-like. And this is all about us pressing on and straining forward for that prize, that goal, that upward call of God. So it involves consistency. It involves perseverance. It involves practicing the things that bring us closer to God. That's what it involves. So the progressive pursuit of Jesus is to know him and become like him. Spiritual growth consists of us being matured and strengthened in this progressive pursuit as we what? Await our Savior. We press on, we strain forward, focused on the upward call of God, and this is important, remembering that our citizenship is in heaven. You and I are aliens here. We are pilgrims. We are here temporarily. This is not our home. We are walking through, and that is it. Our citizenship is somewhere else. Our home is somewhere else. Our treasures, and where our heart will be also, is somewhere else. We are bound up in Jesus. So here, while we are living on this earth, we mature spiritually. We press on and we strain forward because our citizenship is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this word was powerful. I just want to thank you for your word. Lord, your, your word is, it, it never comes back void, Father. Lord, seeds are planted. 
Thoughts are created, Father. Things stick. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your word. I know the Holy Spirit illuminates different things for different people, God, and we thank you for that. But Lord, let us remember today, let us remember today to forget what's behind us and look at what lies ahead. Father, we want to grow forward. We always want to be in forward momentum, pursuing you, pursuing Christ-likeness. You are everything to us. You're everything to Paul, and he's trying to model that for us, Father, and we thank you. We thank you for those who you have trained uh, in righteousness and given us as examples. We praise you for that, Lord. Right now, I'm asking you, Father, for every heart, every believer in this room, Lord, that we continually to press on and strain forward in our momentum to pursue you. It doesn't stop at salvation. It doesn't stop when we realize we're covered with God's righteousness. It doesn't stop there. There is a reason our faith is active and alive. Father, I pray that each and every one of us realize that and we pursue you and we pursue you fiercely. Father, we know that everything you have for us is safe and secure. We're just waiting on you. And we wait for you, Lord. And as we wait for you, we want you to know we are going to be more and more like you. We are going to grow in you. Lord, we thank you so much that everything you have for us is safe and secure. Because in this world, it is not. It is up for grabs in this world, Lord. So we are blessed by what you have done for us. We have not experienced it yet, but we know we will. We are guaranteed. Father God, thank you for that. I just pray now, Lord, as we know that, that we allow our lives to pursue you fully, to become more like you. We want to be found in you. We want to know you. We want to be like you. Father God, this is what we need. Direct our paths. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.